This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is the Mutual Audio Drama Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audience. And that sonorous music from Sharon B means we're back with Mutual Presents and our second foray into the unknown with an Exploring Tomorrow triple play, including The Happiness Effect, The Doctor, and The Liar, all brought to you from the Mutual Broadcasting System. So let's wind back our clocks and tune in for today's adventures. I'm Jack Ward. Now step into the incredible, amazing future as we go exploring tomorrow. And now here is your guide to these adventures of the mind, John Campbell Jr. There's the old saying, you'll do it and like it. And, uh, of course, a man can, by physical force, make you do it. Uh, how would you like to have it so that you wouldn't like it, too? There are two basic ways that you can be happy in this world. One, of course, is to have everything you want in just the way you want it and never have any difficulties or troubles. This method is uh, ideal, perhaps, but not very probable. Only one person in the world could have that, I guess. The other method uh, for absolute, complete happiness would be to like anything that you got, no matter what it was. The first approach is the one that makes sense, of course. That's the one we work for. We earn it. The other seems so much easier. Stop barking. Stop barking. Stop barking. Sorry, Doc. I guess I just kind of stand here thinking. Uh, happy thoughts, I hope. Oh, sure. Happy thoughts. Sure. 
Sure, sure. Uh, what can I do for you, Doc? Uh, a fellow just came into town, suspicious, uh, painting pictures out at Willow Hollow. There's law against painting pictures at Willow Hollow? Now, Henry, you know i got to keep my eyes on things. wasn't for us brain matters. There'd be all kinds of irresponsibles roaming around. And these artists, they're the worst kind. You know that. You remember there was a day when you were headed for that kind of trouble? Yeah, I remember. I was a pretty good baritone, too. You sure brain wrote me out of that notion. And aren't you better for it? You're a responsible citizen, happily married, well-adjusted, doing a job that's socially useful. Yeah. What about this fellow I'm supposed to investigate? The name of Arnold Vivian. And he's been painting up at Willow Hollow? That's right. Doesn't do anything all day long but paint. Single? No wife, no children, no nothing. He just paints. Well, remember, as long as he just paints, that's legal. Now, Henry. Now, don't Henry me, Doc. I'll look into it. That's all I can promise. Right. That's all I ask. Goodbye, Henry. Yeah, that's mighty pretty landscape you're painting. Why, thank you. <laughs> Willow Hollow makes a mighty pretty landscape to paint. Well, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Oh, no, that's all right. I never mind a little talk when I'm painting. What uh, can I do for you? Your name Arnold Vivian? That's right. I'm Henry Horner, Chief of Police. Nice to meet you. Chief of... What, uh, what seems to be the trouble? No, no trouble. I just out here to give you a kind of friendly warning. About what? Now, this town of Benton you're in needs new young men, Arnold. If you should happen to get in any trouble here, we got a real fast brain rider who likes to straighten people out. I don't get into trouble. Well, just keep in mind we need workers these days. Like our brain rider would say, who needs pictures on canvas? Who needs pictures on canvas? Why, Mr. Policeman, me. Maybe someday a few others will agree with me. Well, maybe. I used to be a sort of artistic fellow myself. Baritone, concert style. Yeah, I'll bet you're good on a police whistle, too. Don't worry about me, Mr. Horner. Just go back and tell your brain writer, here's one traveling man he won't ever get to use his scalpel on. <laughs> Every Saturday night, Benton has a dance. I usually don't go near it myself because since the brain writing, everybody's pretty well adjusted and ain't any police-type trouble. This Saturday night, though, I dropped in toward the middle of the evening. Hi, Mr. Horner. Hi, hello, Arnold. Having a good time? Heck yes. I've been dancing with all the girls. They love me and I love them. Staying out of trouble? The only trouble I ever have is with pictures on canvas. Well, don't go getting drunk and signing a job contract with Big Fellum at the Brickyard or with Tom Hearth or you'll forget pictures. I'm immune to job contracts. Also, it may interest you to know that both Mr. Hearth and Mr. Fellum each bought a painting for me tonight, paid cash on the barland. Well, that's a surprise. Well, I wonder what they're up to. Why should they be up to anything? They just like my pictures. 
I guess they like me, too. They invited me to play poker with them after the dance tonight. You turned them down, of course. Heck no. I like taking money from people at poker. Well, they're more likely to do the taking, and once you're broke, you'll just have to go to work. Mr. Horner, when are you going to stop worrying about me? I told you, I can take care of myself. And he could, too. When the poker game broke up about 3 a.m., he was the winner. Everybody was griping, all except Doc Royden, who sat there, his close-set eyes glittering behind thick spectacles. Imagine him taking me for 30 bucks. Imagine. You know, he knows people, he knows cards, he knows women. You're not going to brain right that boy. You want to bet, Henry? You just want to make a little bet. <laughs> Whether it's a crowded highway or a narrow street, a smooth, even flow of traffic is one of the essentials of safe driving. Speeding is an obvious hazard, but it can also be suicide. Slowpoke driving is dangerous too, because it causes rear-end collisions and tempts other motorists into taking deadly chances in passing. The eccentric behavior of the lane switcher, the driver who weaves in and out, often is the cause behind frightful smash-ups. So don't be a cause, and don't be a victim. Arrive alive. There are two difficulties with the happiness idea. One of them is that actually we need to earn happiness to enjoy it, but we don't really want to work for it. The drug addict has happiness uh, that he doesn't have to work for, really. The other difficulty is uh, happiness in whose terms? Many times, you know, the other fellow figures that you ought to be happy with what he's giving you. Henry, wake up and scoot over to Tony Holland's shack on the edge of the holler. What's the matter, Doc? There's been a crime. Get over here as fast as you can. Somebody's got to keep an eye on our citizens at the police force. Now, right? wait a minute. It's a good thing I was out this way. Where's Tony? I gave him a sleep injection. A poor fella, he was bashed on the head and all his savings were stolen. $302. Well, can't you wake him up so he can tell me himself? No need. I got all the information you want. Who does he think did it? He doesn't know, but I've got a good idea. Yeah, like who? Well, let's eliminate it. Couldn't have been a passing tramp. Since brainwriting, there aren't any. And if you can't say it was anyone in town, they're all adjusted and wouldn't commit no crimes. So? Might be somebody around who wanders in the hollow in the daytime, poking around and pretending to be what he ain't. Well, it wasn't Arnold Vivian. How do you know? Because he's not that stupid. He knows he'd be the most likely suspect. Maybe you'd just better check up on him, Henry. Doc, you're the brain writer. They call you in after the maladjusted guy's been caught, but I'm the cop. I run my investigations the way I want, and I'm not going to build a case against Arnold Vivian. What are you going to do? You write on brains. Try reading one. <laughs> So you figure Doc Royden's trying to frame me, huh? It looks that way. Oh, that's ridiculous. I just took you people at poker for enough money to live for three weeks. Why should I take a chance on getting my head written on? Have you missed any of your stuff? Oh, just my pen and pencil set that I lost jumping around at the dance last night. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That'd make a fine clue, wouldn't it, at the scene of the crime? It sure would. Well, was it found over there? Not yet, but it will be. 
That's not important, though. What is important is this. Tony Holland has one peculiarity. He marks $20 bills. Figures he can follow how the money goes around town that way. Now, you don't draw any money from the local bank or in salary, so you just better not have any local $20 bills marked by Tony. Hey, whose side are you on? I used to sing baritone, remember? <laughs> Police, I like you. Artist, I kind of like you, too. Henry, look what we found at Tony's. Look here. Yeah, I know. You found a clue, a pen or a pencil or both. We know all about it, Doc. Arnold, I better run you in, at least until we can investigate further. It'll look better. Why, certainly. No trouble at all, Mr. Horner. Glad to come along. I pressed for a hearing right away, figuring that Arnold could be cleared and then leave town. He figured the same, that it wasn't healthy to hang around a place that needed new talent so bad. The hearing went real fine from the start. I testified that Arnold had been fast asleep at the time the crime was committed, and I swore that the pen and pencil had been planted in Tony's house. Then suddenly they were talking about Mark $20 bills. Well, I couldn't I couldn't possibly have any 20s, Judge. I just told you, I, I, there's absolutely no way that I could have... Unless... Uh, no. No. Let me out of here! Let me out of here! It's a frame-up! It's a frame-up, I tell you! It's... There is no tool that is either good or evil. There's nothing that in itself is good or bad. It's the way it's used. Logic is a wonderful thing of great value to man and his progress. But in this uh, trial here... You've seen what can be done with logic when someone is out to prove what he wants to prove and is not in the slightest interested in getting the truth. Just one thing I want to say. I've seen a lot of raw deals, but the way you have it here with the singing cop to set it up is the slickest I ever saw. You win. <laughs> As chief of police, I had to be present at the brain writing. Doc's nurse gave Arnold the needle jab in the back of the neck, and after that, he sat there like a stone man, able to hear, but paralyzed. Now, now, Henry, there we are. Yes, yes, the clay model is ready to take the impressions from Arnold's brain, so we'll have an exact duplicate. Now we put this cap on Arnold's head, so the electronic fingers in it can do the measuring. That's a good boy. It won't take long now. Attach these wires to the automatic computer that we put above the clay model. And... There we are. An exact model of Arnold's brain. All right, let's take a look. Oh, me. Oh, my. There's a brain that needs writing. All right, all right, all right. Look here, you see that? Decayed memory spots. Artistic imagination. Decayed sensory impressions. Quite useless in an adjusted society. Now, we just take the scalpel and start doing away with these six synapses in the brain model, substituting good ones. Isn't that what we do, Henry? Yeah, that's what we do, all right. You erase the bad ones and carve some good ones, and then when his own brain gets the impression, the guy's adjusted from then on. Everybody does what they should, and they don't need no religion, no morals, no psychology, nothing. 
Just brain ripening and the world's work gets done. Now, Henry, you always miss the most important part. After I get rid of the illogical synapses, I do one spatial cut with my stylus. There, there, I'm doing it now. And that's the happiness effect. Then your adjusted man not only does what he ought to, he's happy about it. <laughs> there we are. Oh, that looks beautiful. Oh, that looks almost like the master brain. Let me get it and show it to you, Henry. It's real interesting. I'll be back in a second. Arnold, I sure wish I could help you. Wait a minute. Maybe I came. I'm going to try to put back some of those synopses he cut out. Here's a scalpel. You know, there's one he did, there's another. Maybe I can help you keep some of your artistic talent, Arnold. Yeah, here's a final one. And one day, Henry will be able to duplicate this master brain in everyone. It's brilliant. Take a look at it while I prepare for the transference from the clay model to Arnold's brain. It sure is fine looking, this master brain. Yes, yes, yes. Now we're ready to go. Now, Henry, Henry, when I close this switch, the new brain shape will flash the signal to the cap on Arnold's head. The electronic fingers will dig in, and he'll have a new brain. Oh, I tell you, Henry, this is the real moment of birth. Most people are born wrong for this world. This is where they get right. All right, here we go. It's going to hurt a little. <laughs> well, Henry, we did it. We created a useful citizen. Six months went by, and it looked as if Doc was right. Arnold took a job, settled down, and got himself married, and then... Henry, Henry, have you seen that picture exhibition up at the town hall? Picture exhibition? No, Doc. What's it about? Arnold, Vivian, the sneak. Pictures of me holding me up to ridicule. I'll be the laughingstock of this town. You've got to stop it. Well, there's nothing illegal about pictures, Doc, but come on, let's take a look. <laughs> We went to the town hall, and there was the neatest collection of pictures you ever saw. Arnold painted Doc Royden more than 50 times, and in each picture he cut the basic evil of the man. Doc was shown at the council meeting, at church, at the dance, his face revealing every grimace of deceit, powerless conniving. Every picture was titled The Happiness Effect, and everyone was marked sold already. I knew then and there that Doc Royden was finished in battle. Henry, please, I'm too old to start over in another town. I've got to stay in Benton. Please, Henry, get rid of those pictures. Why, Doc, it sounds to me like you're maladjusted to your environment. You ought to be brain-ridden. to the happy. Henry! Henry! Henry, man, I've been looking all over for you. I wanted to tell you thanks for using Doc's scalpel to save a piece of my talent. Why, it was a pleasure, Arnold. Thanks to you for giving us back a little human dignity.
lot of people tend to think that happiness is something you have. But I think it isn't. I think it's more in the nature of something you do. You know, the founders of our country were no fools. And in the Declaration of Independence, they said that men had certain inalienable rights, among which were the pursuit of happiness. No man has ever declared that happiness itself is a right of man. The pursuit of happiness is. It's worth working for. Join us for a fascinating adventure in Exploring Tomorrow. Heard in our cast tonight were Mason Adams, Charlie Holmes, and Lawson Zerby. Script was taken from a story by Raymond Banks. Produced and directed by Sanford Marshall here in New York. Bill Maher speaking. We pause now for station identification. When a man has learned how to do something, he wants that something to be important and needed and wanted in the world. Well, progress tends to eliminate various old necessities and replace them with new ones. And sometimes people are unwilling to change. Once upon a time, there was the occupation of buggy whip maker, for example. And I wonder how many people today make their living chipping flint points for arrows. Various professions have been eliminated, and various others will be, by automation, by other forces of society. But sometimes an individual fights back, and that can cause trouble. Who's there? Who, who is standing there? Excuse me, sir. Come forward. Out of the shadow, I can see you. Oh, yes, sir. I didn't mean to frighten you. Who are you? My name is Morrison. I've never seen you before. What do you want? The robot down the highway said that I would find the owner of this dome in the garden, but I couldn't hear what else it said. It, it's rusty. Is yes, it? I must see to it. Although it would really be wasted effort. You're the first visitor to this home in, oh, must be six years, or perhaps it's seven. I wanted the robot to tell me if this was the dome of Cran. Yes, I am Cran. Oh. Come, come, sir. Can't you see I'm wearing a very thin robe? The wind off the canals is sharp this time of evening. Oh, please don't be angry. I, I need your help. You need my help? Well, you are a doctor, aren't you? What? Are you a doctor? My child, I am the last physician alive on all the planets of the human race. The last except for Targ, whose name you also saw on the card index. But he is senile, and he lies on his couch. My sister is sick up on the mountain. Yes, I believe I have the signal honor to be the last physician among the race of men. Poor Targ, a hopeless case. He couldn't attend the ceremony. That was ten years ago. On my 125th birthday. Very impressive. Oh, please, please listen, Fran. My sister is sick. Thousands of people, educators, dignitaries, honoring me. The last of my kind. It's a sad thought. And it's not right. I thought it wasn't right at the time. My, my profession goes back to the beginnings of recorded time. And then 
Certainly we're no longer needed. Turned out with a medal and a statue and a thank you. Oh, Cran, what must I do to make you understand? Let go my arm. My sister is sick with some kind of disease. It's impossible, my child. I knew you wouldn't believe me. I just knew it. Disease has been destroyed. That doesn't change the fact that my sister is lying up on the mountain with her skin hot as fire one hour, as cold as ice the next. She trembles and she moans and... Oh, Young woman, is your sister expecting a child? If so, she should report immediately to the automation hospital. There's one down the road staffed with the finest obstetrics. There is no child. She's just sick. I refuse to believe that. Oh, all right, then. I'll go back and watch her die. Then. Wait. Wait a moment. I would help you if I could, but I haven't had a case since I was... Uh... Forty years old. There's, there's been no need. I know all that. I went to school once. Disease is an outmoded concept. Chemotherapeutics long ago rid the human strain of its infirmities. Cleanse the planets of illness. Psychotherapeutics cleanse the minds of them. To sickness is obsolete. And so all you care about is that my sister violates all your rules. Perhaps it is a well, natural death. Perhaps you should have taken her to the geriatric mortuary. We have not obliterated death, you know. And if she's quite old, perhaps it's time for her to go to the machine. My sister is 28 years old. Oh, I see. How far is this city? Maybe if I go there, I can find someone who won't laugh at me. Wait. Please, come inside. So that you can joke with me again? Be silent. Come inside. A little light, please. Pass your hand along the wall of the dome. There, that's better. Now, now sit down. Oh, I'm going to the city. If I find someone there... Oh, will you be silent? I'm trying to help you if I can. I don't know what I can do. It's been many years, but I'll try. Now, sit down here. All right. How long has your sister been in this condition? For eight days. What are the, um... I've even forgotten the words. Uh, I, yes... The symptom. Well, she's hot and cold in turn. She she doesn't recognize me. And, oh, she coughs and coughs. Oh, heavens. What's wrong? It sounds like some sort of primitive illness. At the end of my practice, my last patient was a complex of neurogeriatric syndromes. I studied nothing but multiple ills. And then when the last of those were wiped out by the new drugs and the new techniques, why, I simply had to quit. But a primitive disorder... I bothered you for nothing. What do you mean? I'm going to try, certainly. What good will that do? My child, I am a physician, and it is my duty to try. That much I remember. Come now. I think my unicar is still working. You'll have to direct me to the mountain to your sister. The man has really forgotten his trade. He can still feel terrible resentment. Oh, oh, oh. oh listen, he must be in terrible pain. Bob is so steep. I'm not used to such a Nobody. It's just a little flirty, but we're almost to the dome. Why do you believe in such Place. Well, our father built his hydraulic sheds up here because he disliked the city. Yes. When he died, we had to stay here because we didn't know any other place to make a living. We're here. Open the door quickly, girl. Oh, 
Put on the light. We don't have atomics, just a small generator for electricity. Well, that will have to do. Now, let me have a look at her. Oh, yes, you are right. Her skin is burning. Oh, Neela. Neela, can you hear me? I brought a physician. It's no use. She... Oh, I've forgotten the simplest words. What is it? What is it? Oh, yes. Now it comes back to me. She's delirious. (laughs) Bring the table closer. Now, do you know how to love one of these viewers? I'll try. Now, set the viewer on the table. The text on the film, if I remember rightly, contains close to a million diagnostic patterns. Now, just get the spool onto the sprockets. Oh, I, I think I see how to do it. Now, young woman... Nila, that's your name, isn't it? Oh. Open your mouth for me. Come now, open it. Yeah, that's better. Mm-hmm. Now open your eyes. Then I'll have to do it myself. There. The pulse now. Where's the pulse? The arm. Yeah, that, that. No, that's not it. Lower. Ah. The text is on the viewer. All right, I'll code the symptoms myself. Do you know what's wrong? Can you help us? To answer your first question, no, I don't know what's wrong. To answer your second, I will only know whether I can help her if the viewer finds a diagnosis for me after I call the symptoms. Now, if there is medication prescribed with a diagnosis, and if by chance I still have that medication in my kit, there there might be a chance. Why did it have to happen to her? Why, indeed. The learned men of all planets would doubtless be curious to know the answer also. Yeah, let me sit that down at the view. Let's see. First uh, symptom, fever. Second symptom, inflammation of the throat cavity. Third symptom, advanced olfactory congestion. In a moment, we should have the answer, if there is one contained in this text. This last key, there. Great heaven. John, can't you see the card? It's from the last appendix on the text. Antique maladies. Let's see what it says. Yes. All the symptoms are exact. The cause is a virus. There's the code name right there. The proper agent, let's see. At the bottom of the card, chemotherapeutic number 411. Zero, zero, nine. Open the kit quickly. Oh, what was the nominality? Four, eleven, zero, zero. Oh, yes. It is here. Zero, zero, nine. Two of them, two of the tablets. Give them to your sister. Neela, please do as I ask. You open your mouth. That's right. Now take these tablets. Oh, that's right. And, and swallow. Oh, that's fine, Neela. And now you rest, dear. And you'll be better soon. Please stand aside. What are you going to do with that? This hypodermic? I want a sample of your sister's body fluid. What for? Give me a quantity of the virus to enable me to duplicate the virus in my own laboratory. What's wrong with you? Oh, your face, it looks so different now. Viruses were virtually destroyed a long time ago, but perhaps immunity has weakened in 300 years. Perhaps if the cause were there again and the immunity was not... Don't you touch her with that needle! Please stand back, my child. I have helped your sister. A small quantity of blood in return is a fair exchange. It's not right that we should be dismissed with a medal and a statue. It's not fair. 
I'll make myself the scapegoat if necessary. Take the blame for spreading the disease. That's all right. I am an old man. But I have made it possible for others after me to practice medicine once more. The virus be mutated, develop new strains, immunity may be gone. Stand back. A few cc's of fluid in this little chamber, and there'll be disease again, and physicians to heal. You get away from me. In fact, I warn you, if I must use violence, I can still find strength. You stay away. Stay away. You force me to this. <laughs> Retired from his business, it's one thing to know that the business is still going on, that the business itself has not been retired. But somehow, it's a much deeper hurt to have the business itself cease to exist. If only that business hadn't stopped, that he could feel that something of his business was going on. I think that's what's bothering the ex doctor. You. My sister died during the night. I'm sorry. You're not sorry at all. You must understand. I couldn't stay with you. I left you there unconscious. I knew you'd come around soon enough. But my sister died. I did what I could. I gave the prescribed medication. It's lucky I had some of it at all. The virus must have been too strong. The immunity factor down to nil. That's why I came. To ask whether I will contact the disease. It's possible. And could pass it on to others. I wouldn't allow myself over that. I'd be making my own plans. That's why you took the blood. Of course. Do you think that this particular virus is widespread? I am sure it isn't. This one case must be pure accident. I told you that the virus, as a cause of infection, like all causes of physical and mental illness, was totally counteracted all years ago. And that's why I was given the medal and the statue, because they didn't need me or my kind. But they will again, and soon. Oh, I've never had much education, but this idea of yours, it just isn't decent. Oh, no? You'd bring sickness to people just to carry on a tradition. Not a tradition. The noblest tradition in the history of the human race. A tradition of comfort, of healing, of leading sick minds and bodies back to health. But that was accomplished years ago, you said to yourself. Yes, but uh, it's not right, that's all. Not when so much has been given and sacrificed for the good of mankind. What you plan to do is not for the good of mankind. I won't listen to you anymore. What you plan to do violates everything that's right. A doctor is supposed to heal, to cure. I didn't do so very well with your sister, did I? For that, I can forgive you. You said yourself it was a rare case. Perhaps it will strike me and I will die. And then it will never happen again. But to set out to create disease. Get out of this laboratory, you, you little wretch. You stand before other doctors and look them in the face and say, I'm doing this for you, making others ill so that you can be doctors again. There are no doctors except Targ and he's senile. I am the last. And you are very old and something's happened to your I'm mind. One, you leave this dawn immediately. Not before I destroy whatever you took from my sister. You see this? A laboratory torch. See the blue flame? It burns. I'll burn you if you come a step close. Just destroy what you took from my sister. That's all I ask. Not a step nearer. If you don't, I'll destroy you and myself and this whole place. You're a fool. I know it. And I'm not very old or well-educated, but 
I may be a better physician than you. Well, would you just stand back? I'll burn you. Is that it, the large flask? Don't touch it. Watch out, old man. Your bones move slowly. Let's go. Let's let go. There she is, Paul, old man. I'll kill you. I'll blast you with the torch. You missed me. Stand still. Stand still. It's a fire's world. Come back. Don't hide that way. Come out from behind there. Now there's no chance for you to create your new diseases. Now, which way? Flames of me. Don't I wish me? I know, but I don't care. It's not why I am the last doctor. The tradition must be carried on. They gave me a medal, a statue. It's not right. It's not right. Not right. You know, if you're looking for a more secure and stable world in the future, I'm afraid you're in for unhappiness and disappointment. The world of the future is going to obey the ancient law. Change. Learn. Find a new and better way. Because the old way always turns out to be a little inadequate. There is nothing that's perfect. Uh, let's go to work and find a better way. It's the whole point of progress. To do a better job than we've ever done before. And you know, when an occupation, when a profession, when a tradition dies, it served a purpose. The purpose does not die. That goes on. And that's what the old doctor didn't recognize. The purpose was to serve human life. And that went on. And always will. into the incredible, amazing future as we go exploring tomorrow. And now, here is your guide to these adventures of the mind, the editor of Astounding Science Fiction Magazine, John Campbell, Jr., Tonight's story is about a liar. Will you stop to figure out just what you mean by a liar? A liar is somebody who doesn't tell the truth. Somebody who injures people by not giving the true facts. But suppose you had someone who injured people by telling the truth. Would he be a liar? wonder just what a liar is. Exploring Tomorrow is presented by the Mutual Broadcasting System in cooperation with X-Lax, America's largest-selling laxative, and the Reader's Digest, the most widely read magazine in the world. In a moment, John Campbell returns with the story of The Liar. Question of a robot. The idea of a robot. 
That certainly seems like pure science fiction stuff. As a matter of fact, it isn't. You know, you have several robots around your own home. I, in my own home, for instance, I have an automatic oil burner robot. It has one finger stuck up in the living room to see how warm it is there. It has another little finger put up in the stack to see whether the fire is burning properly. And if any one of these little sensory devices reports that things aren't what they should be, uh, the robot to protect the house itself and the inhabitants of the house uh, shuts off the furnace. Dr. Isaac Asimov, the author of tonight's story, recognized this in setting up his proposition of the three laws of robotics. The first law, that a robot shall never harm or allow harm to come to a human being. The second, that it shall obey the orders of a human being. And the third, that it should protect itself. Because after all, a robot is an expensive piece of machinery. Well, now let's consider the more advanced kind of robot. We do this fiction. Say they're in production. Come in, come in. Oh, Dr. Calvin, what's on your mind? Well, I just wanted to be sure there was a meeting this afternoon, Dr. Lanning, that's all. Today is Friday. It was this morning. Well, then we have no problem. It being Friday, the executive officers of the firm of U.S. Robot and Mechanical Men will assemble in the conference room at the customary hour of 3.30. Well, I was just asking. What do you think of our latest model? He looks the same as the rest, just about as animated. What are you going to call him? Herbie. I think Herbie fits him, don't you? Oh, Herbie, Chester, Sam. What's the difference? Dr. Calvin, this fellow couldn't be called anything but Herbie. Oh. Well, I'll see you at 3.30. What do you think of her, Herbie? Oh, she's all right. She's an old trump, and you know it. I wouldn't say that. Besides, that's not what you're thinking. You're thinking the old girl isn't such a bad sort. And you don't know what this firm would do without her. What? What was that? How do you know what I was thinking? Dr. Calvin, Dr. Bogart, I have purposely confined today's meeting to we three. We're in trouble. Serious trouble. What kind of trouble, Dr. Lanning? Our latest model, RB-34, can read minds. It's impossible. Dr. Bogart, I think we may assume Dr. Lanning knows what he's talking about. Take it for granted, I do. In short, we have a mind-reading robot on our hands, and we've got to find out why it reads minds. There could not have been a hitch in the assembly line. I guarantee that. You guarantee? Hmm? Dr. Bogart, can you answer for the entire assembly? By exact count, there are 75,000 operations necessary for the manufacture of a single positronic brain, each separate operation depending upon any number of factors, from 5 to, to 105. If any one of these factors goes wrong, your robot's brain is ruined. I quote your own information folder, Dr. Bogart. It is not my fault if anything went wrong. I am a mathematician, not an assembly supervisor. Well, how can you guarantee anything? I don't think we're going to get anywhere trying to fix the blame on someone. We've got to find out what went wrong. I want to understand you, Herbie. I want to get to know you. I brought you some books which 
you might like to read. By reading them, I... Oh, I can see at once these books won't interest me. Textbooks, aren't they? Well, yes, but I... You see, I find nothing to them. Your science is just a mass of collected data plastered together by so many makeshift theories. And so incredibly simple that they're not worth bothering about. Go on. It's your fiction that's so interesting. Your studies of emotions and human motives. Human emotions interest you? Isn't that really why you came to see me? What? I... I wish I could help you. I know what you're thinking about. You think about it all the time. Well, if you know so much, then you could help me. Yes. He loves you. You're mistaken. You he must be. He doesn't see me as a woman. But he does. A thing like that cannot be hidden from me. Oh, but I... I'm not attractive enough. I'm just a machine. I can't judge physical attraction in human beings. But I know there are many kinds of attraction. And I know Dr. Lanny loves you. Oh, I... I never thought it possible. I never dared to hope. Oh, me. A man can do something by accident that he doesn't know how to do. Now, this is something that scientists sometimes overlook. Herbie apparently represents one of those cases where something has been done by somebody who doesn't know how to do it and wishes desperately that he didn't know how to do it. They've got a telepathic robot. It looks like it would be worth millions, but how did they get it? Oh, Dr. Bogart, sit down. <laughs> Thank you. Well, at least if you know a good joke, spread it around. <laughs> I, I just saw Dr. Kelvin. Oh. I never saw so much lipstick and ball paint on any living woman before. You must be in love. Well, I didn't ask you here to talk about Dr. Calvin. Have you made any progress? Uh, there is nothing wrong with the mathematics. The change is due to something along the assembly line. The cause must be found. It's worth millions if we can do it when we want to, mm. instead of by accident. And it's your job to find out. But why not ask Herbie? <laughs> he should know what went wrong. Trust you to think of that. Herbie, listen to me, eh? Tell me if I uh, made any mistakes in my calculations when they built you. You made no mistake. Or if you had, how could I tell you? After all, you're a much better mathematician than me. Besides, this is not what is really on your mind. You are thinking about your superior, Dr. Lanny. And you're thinking what a good thing it would be if he were to resign. Oh, yes, now I can see how the idea pleases you. And I can tell you something else. 
Dr. Lanning has already resigned. But the resignation will not take effect until the, the problem of myself has been resolved. And, and then he will turn over his job to his successor. Oh yes, Dr. Bogart, you will be his successor. You will be the new director. <laughs> Happy, you are a wonderful fellow, you know that? You are simply magnificent. You are not the product of a mistake. You are the product of genius. Oh, you are a wonderful, wonderful fellow. as the flowers, lady. May I compliment you? Have you seen today's newspapers? No, I really haven't had the time. He's going to be married to a girl half his age. Who? Dr. Lanning. Getting married. Ah, so that's it. That explains something. He's making new plans for the future. We must congratulate you. Yes, we must. Oh, yes. We really must. It's not true, is it, Herbie? It's not true. No, it's not true. This is just an illusion. You wake up soon. Yes. Yes, it isn't true, is it? He's not going to get married, except to me. Oh, Herbie. Herbie, I've loved him all these years, and... No, I know he loved me. He couldn't. He, he wouldn't marry anyone else. No, he loves you. Only you. I know, I know. He is only waiting for the right time to tell Yes, you. I know. Stop it. Stop it. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to do? Make a fool of me. I was trying to help you. Help me? By telling me this is all a dream. This is no dream. I wish it were. I wish it were. Why did you tell me he loved me? Why? Why? I had to. Oh, you're here, Dr. Calvin. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I want to have a talk with this, this mechanical monstrosity. Harvey, I'm talking about you, so listen to me. Yes, sir. Have you discussed me with Dr. Bogart? Well, answer me. No, sir. You haven't, eh? That's what I thought. You said nothing to him about my, my resigning? No, sir. Then he was lying. Yes, sir. Well, it looks as though I'm going to have a serious talk with Dr. Bogart. <laughs> really, Dr. Calvin, do you find this amusing? Not very amusing, Dr. Lanny. Not so very amusing. Only I don't believe a word he's just said. You, what? I believe he did tell Dr. Bogart you were going to resign. You believe he... Harvey, is it true? Did you tell Dr. Bogart? Answer me! Can't you speak? I can speak. Then answer me! I want the truth! <laughs> this is very funny. Three of us, the greatest robot experts in the world, falling into the trap. The same trap. <laughs> he made fools of us. He doesn't even know enough to laugh at us. <laughs> Thanks.
accident, something they didn't know how to do. The robot was in the peculiar position of having knowledge, but no wisdom. Well, Dr. Calvin? Dr. Lanny, have you forgotten the fundamental law we impress upon the positronic brain of all robots? Of course not. On no condition is a human being to be injured in any way. Even when such injury is directed by another human being. What kind of injury do we mean? Any kind. Any kind, yes. That would take in mental hurt, the deflation of ego, the blasting of one's hope. What would a robot know about blasting of hope? What? You're catching on, aren't you? Well, this robot reads minds. It understands about mental torture. Can't you understand now that if you ask it a question, it will give you the very answer you most want to hear? Wouldn't any other answer hurt you? And wouldn't Herbie know that? Good heavens. He knows everything. He knows what went wrong when he was built, but he won't tell anyone. Because it would puncture your ego or Dr. Bogart's ego to have a machine tell you where the mistake was. He would rather pretend he's not able to tell you. Incredible. Uh, let's, let's talk to him. Herbie, listen to me. Yes, sir? I have pencil and paper here. I want to know where we made the error in your construction. Well, tell him, Herbie. He wants to know. He doesn't. But I do. Yes, but not from me. I cannot tell you, Dr. Lanning. You know I can't. You don't want me to. You and Dr. Bogart would much prefer to find the answer yourself. We want the answer. But not from me. We do want it from you. What's the use of saying that when you don't mean it? Don't you suppose I can't read below the superficial skin of your mind? Don't you suppose I can't read the subconscious mind, too? Deep down, you don't want the answer from me. I'm just a machine, given the imitations of life only by virtue of the positronic interplay of my brain, a brain that is man's device. You can't lose faith without being hurt. I can't hurt you. I can't give you the answer. And still, I insist you answer. I can't. Herbie, Dr. Lanning wants to know the answer. No, only by his own effort. Herbie, neither Dr. Lanning nor Dr. Bogart may ever find the answer. And Dr. Lanning must know. You must tell him. I can't. I can't. But if you don't, you'll hurt him. You can see that, can't you? Yes. And still, if you do tell him, you'll hurt him too. Yes. Yes. But you can't tell him, can you? No. Yet if you don't, you hurt him. And you mustn't hurt. So you must tell him. But if you do, you hurt him. And you mustn't hurt. Herbie, what are you going to do? If you tell him the answer, you'll hurt him. And if you don't tell him, you'll hurt him. And you mustn't hurt. So you must tell him. But if you do, you hurt him. So you can't tell him. And if you don't, you'll hurt him. So you must Stop tell him. It. Stop it. Close your mind. It's full of pain and frustration and hate. I tried to help you. I told you what you wanted to hear. I had Be to... quiet. Never mind what you told me. We're talking about something else now. Tell Dr. Lanning what he wants to know. No. No. How can you? Because if you do, you'll hurt him. Yet if you don't, you'll hurt him just the same. So you must. You must tell him. But if you do, you'll hurt him. No, he 
he's not dead. <laughs> he's only insane. Who did it? Yes. Yes, I confronted him with the insoluble dilemma and he broke down. Well, you can scrap him now. He'll never speak again. You did it on purpose. Why? What did he do to you? What he did to me, Dr. Lanny, is my business. <laughs> oh, believe me, Doctor. It's only my business, not yours. And after all, you have so many other things on your mind now. Your marriage. I haven't had time to congratulate you. No. Uh, well, well, thank you, Dr. Calvin. Uh, well, uh, excuse me. Herbie? You deserved it. You deserved to be destroyed. It was cruel what you did to me. It was cruel. Liar! Liar, that's what you want. You're nothing but a liar! John Campbell returns in just a moment. seem to me to be a connoisseur of the best of radio drama. In which case, make sure you're subscribed to the Monday Matinee feed. There we have our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic and live radio drama. So yeah, either the main mutual audio network feed for all types and genres of audio drama or the Monday Matinee. And we'll see you there. The Mutual Audio Drama Network, where we listen and imagine together. The Mutual Audio Drama Network, where we listen and imagine together. 